Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I want to get right into this. So if you'll open your Bible up this morning to the book of Revelation, I want to continue on the seven churches of Revelation. Now, I'm going to say this very quickly because what I'm going to teach today and actually next week um, really is going to change your life. This is going to, this is not just going to entertain you. When, when I'm finished today, you're going to go, man, Pastor Larry really is good. <laughs> but I'm going to teach you that almost no, something almost no one in Christianity knows. You know, I've always said that I've never really studied the book of revelations and you say well pastor why would you say that because it 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 seemed to always be a book of doom and gloom and it never made much sense and when i came out of my office last night after putting this together tiz tiz said something to, to me um she said it's almost like god has written these revelations in code for the end times And what you're going to see, you know, I say this all the time that the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm 25, 26 years ago, I'm going to teach you to reread the Bible through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus, a Jewish Moses, a Jewish Paul. You cannot understand these revelations and realize this is called the book of revelation. And you cannot understand the teachings of this book or of any book, but especially you're going to see it today, unless you understand the Jewish roots of our faith. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, most of the time when I study, I go to ancient Jewish wisdom. When you read what Paul said, what Jesus said, they're not making something up. They're quoting from what we call the Torah, the the Old Testament. They're not making something up. They're quoting that. And so I really felt if we're going to find out what it means, we ought, uh, what Jewish Jesus is saying, or Jewish Paul is saying, or Jewish Moses is saying, we ought to find out what the Jews say it means. Right. Instead of what Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Pentecostal or whatever, we're all good. But let's go back to what it really means, the ones who wrote it. This is going to become very evident to you. Now, we started a few weeks ago, and we've had a few breaks because Rabbi was in, and I got COVID, and, and I'm feeling <coughs> much better now. Um, we started off, and we understand that John is writing the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos. Now, he's writing to the seven churches of Asia at his time, the seven chief churches of Asia, And even though he was writing to churches of old, this applies more to us now than it even did then. And you're going to see why that this is. The first thing John has is a vision of the Lord. And we, and and as I said, 
This is the same John that laid his head on the breast of Jesus. This is the same John that ate and slept and traveled with Jesus for three and a half years. But he sees a different Jesus. He's not seeing the shepherd Jesus, the Lamb of God Jesus. He's seeing a different Jesus. He's seeing a Jesus whose eyes are on fire. He's seeing a Jesus that is so different John, who knew Jesus better than anybody else possibly, falls over like a dead man. And Jesus said, John, it's okay, it's me. So what we first thing we need to understand is that the Jesus that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a different Jesus than we have right now. Right now, we have the book of Revelation Jesus that is getting ready for the rapture and the second coming. We see that he says his eyes are aflame, and I won't get into all all of this teaching, but it literally means that he, one, sees everything. And that's something that I want us all to understand, and you're going to see this today. He sees everything. Sometimes when we're going through these things or sometimes when our government is making certain decisions and sometimes when things look crazy, we go, Lord, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on in the world? Do you know what's going on in my life? You know, when we heard of Lion had cancer and then Tiz had cancer, you know, there was a couple moments I said, Lord, do you you see what's going on here? And we need to understand that Jesus sees everything. But his eyes are also eyes of flame. And without getting into all the Hebrew understanding that we already taught on, his eyes are a flame of compassion, but his eyes are a flame also of anger. That God is not just a God that is sweet and kind, but God can get mad. Amen? We see this understanding the Hebrew prayer. When we pray, let's say we pray the Shema. Shema Israel, the number one prayer in all of Judaism. Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Had. Or we're saying Shabbat. Whenever you pray in Hebrew, we're taught to pray using two names of God. Adonai and Eloheinu. Now, in ancient Jewish wisdom, whenever you see something that's repeated twice, what does it mean? There's a revelation there. Whenever God repeats something, it's not just God is being redundant. When he says, I am Adonai, that is the, that is the mother nature of God. That's the shepherd of God. That's the kindness of God. That's the mercy of God. That's the compassion of God. But when he says, you're not only Adonai, but you're Eloheinu, that's the father of God. When your father gets home, How many remember that? How many need to still remember that? It's one thing for mom to say, I'm going to blister your bottom. It's another thing to say, I'm going to tell your dad. And when he gets home, it's like, oh, it's a whole different ballgame. So in the book of Revelation, we need to understand that the book of Revelation is not a book to those who have eyes to see. And those who have ears to hear, it's not a scary book. It's actually a book that encourages us. It is a book of warning. It's a book of, 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 of saying, wake up. We need to pay attention. And that's why I feel like the Lord had me teach this with all that's going on, with everything that's going on. The, our world has changed more in the last seven, eight months than it has in the 
40-something years that I've been a Christian. When I became a Christian and we heard about, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, we go, well, it's got to mean something different than that. When we heard about the mark of the beast, well, that can never happen. Well, you can't buy or sell unless the government says you can't. And so when you look at these things, and you're going to see, it's this, today, today's going to be a, an amazing revelation. When you look at these things, it is a warning. I believe all that we're seeing around the world and in our own country is a warning. God's saying to every Christian, wake up. Amen. Pay attention. Don't let me catch you sleeping. Now, last week, we, we are two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we studied about um, the eyes of God, the hair, the wisdom, the judgment. But one of the things that really encouraged me is when John described the clothing of the Lord. And he says that his train or the, the bottom of his robe uh, was everywhere. You know, there are some things in Revelation that we can go back to the Old Testament and realize what he's talking about. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, 1, it says the train of the Lord filled the temple, right? Now, the first thing you need to understand is that Isaiah was a prophet. And when he says the train of the Lord, the, 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 the bottom of his robe filled the temple, you've got to understand, if you, how many have ever been to Israel and you look at the temple mound? Well, that is nothing compared to what the temple will be when the Lord comes and rules and reign. If you look at the description of Ezekiel and the temple where the, the ground, just the ground that the temple will sit on, it's 52 miles long and 21 miles wide. That's a big house. Amen? 52 miles long, 21 miles wide, and the Bible says the train of his garment filled the temple. This is once again why it's so important that we study the word of God through the eyes of a Jewish Isaiah. When you look at the train, why is this so important? Every king would wear a royal robe. The bottom of the robe would be the train. Remember when David and I, some of you have been in Israel where we've gone uh, uh, up the, the, uh, the water in the desert in uh, uh, Gedi and, and uh, uh, the king was chasing David and David was hiding in the cave and he cut the bottom of the king's robe off, right? Well, this is a very Mideast Jewish thing. Whenever a king would defeat his enemy, the bottom of the robe was always gold or silver or jewels and, and, and just showing his wealth and his power. And when a king was defeated, the king that defeated him, they would cut that part of the robe off and they would sew it onto the robe of the king that defeated him. That's what David was doing. That's what David was doing. He said, Saul, I could have killed you. Look, look. And so when the Bible says that 
the train of the Messiah when he comes the second time will fill the temple. 52 miles wide, 21 miles long. What he's saying is when the Messiah comes, every enemy, no matter how big that kingdom is, will be defeated by the blood of Jesus and the name that's above every name. Somebody ought to give him praise right now. That's what that means. When we studied the book of the first church, the church of Ephesus, The Lord says to John on the island of Patmos, he said, write these things down and send them to the seven angels, the seven messengers. Now, I want to take time to say this. When I taught on the church of Ephesus and I went home, I was with my family and I said, I think this is the first time that in the pulpit on a Sunday morning, I felt like I was speaking to pastors more than I was the church members. Now, this message is to every one of us who calls us a, themselves a Christian. But John, the Lord tells John, write these things down. I don't want you paraphrasing them. Write them down exactly the way I say them. And send them to the seven golden candlesticks. Now, let me say this to every one of us. God has made us kings, as it says in Revelation 1, kings and priests. So this is to every one of us. But when you look at the seven golden candlesticks, that is representation of the menorah in the temple of God. What does the seven candlesticks of the menorah represent? The anointing. And so it's fit that God would speak to pastors before he spoke to the people because judgment begins in the house of God. The rapture is not the judgment on the world. The rapture is the judgment on the church. And so he says, write these things down and send them to the pastors. Send them to the leaders of the church. This is why the Bible says, be not many teachers, for greater is your condemnation. I am accountable to God for what I teach, But I'm also, as a pastor, accountable to God what I don't teach. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says to the leaders, if you hold back my word because of the looks on their faces, I will take that anointing away and give it to somebody else. Right? True? The thing that encourages me is that the menorah never goes out. And so... When the Lord says, I'll remove your candlestick, let's say he's talking to me, and I don't want to teach the truth about Mark of the Beast, same-sex marriage, whatever it may be. It's not popular today if I don't teach what's true in love, in compassion, in mercy. If I don't teach what's true... That light isn't going out. He's just going to take that light and give it to somebody else. It's the same thing for all of us. Amen. So in the church of Ephesus, and I need to get through this real quick. In the church of Ephesus, he says, you're doing this right. You're doing that right. You're doing that right. But then he says, I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. Now, that's always confused me as I taught. And and this is all we're, we're putting a package together so you can have this and take home 
But I said, Lord, what is it? They're doing everything right. They're singing in the choir. They're working as ushers and greeters. They're in the children's ministry. They're helping with the youth. They're doing everything. They're doing everything right. But he says, you've lost your first love. And, and, and I prayed about this. And I said, God, explain it to me. And he said, they became professional Christians. And that's one thing as pastors, we've got to watch out. Because to be a pastor is not a job, it's a calling. And I want to say this to encourage every pastor that may be watching, or you pass it on to pastors you know. The danger is because we've got to pay the bills. We've got to keep the lights on. We've got to uh, uh, keep the water flowing. We've got to pay the bills. But the danger is, is that we start saying what is popular in say, instead of saying what is prophetic and we become professional Christians. It's the same thing with you. When you come and you're singing and you lift up your hands and you lift up your hands, are you really singing to him? Are you really worshiping him? So the danger is, is that we become professional Christians. And I declare that we will not become professional Christians. And what does the Lord say? He said, return to your first love. Let me just throw this in. We were doing television. We we're doing a month of television on Tuesday. And, and we were teaching on some of these things. And returning to your first love can mean a lot of things. Number one, come to church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. COVID's become a convenient way of saying, well, I'm just going to stay home. And I understand in the time, but now's the time to, to, to come to church. And like I said, if you're watching and we have so many people around the world, we have up to 50,000 join us by stream, up to 50,000, usually 10 or 12,000, but up to 50,000 join us by stream. And instead of, well, I'll watch it at one o'clock or I'll watch it at two, get up, brush your teeth, put on deodorant even though you're in some other part of the world, and join us for worship. Lift up your hands, sing. let's, Let's return to our first love. So our first love can be going to church. Our first love can be go back to reading your Bible. Get up in the morning and read your Bible. How about prayer? But, you know, you think about this, and this is going to make sense to you when we talk about the next church, Smyrna. And God spoke this to me even before I studied this. I said this on, Tiz and I said this on our television filming. Your first love was also loving Israel and loving Jerusalem. The first church loved Jerusalem. If I forget Jerusalem, may my tongue cling to my mouth. And I believe God is saying to the first church, the same thing he is now saying to the last church, return Christians to your first love, loving God, loving church, loving Bible, loving prayer, but love the nation of Israel because the very first, the Avos, the Avot, the father of all blessings is Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless Israel and I will curse those who curse Israel. That's the first love right there. We need to love Israel. Can I have an amen? All right. I got to get through this. Now read with me in Revelations chapter two, the second church Verse 8. 
And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blaspheme of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Hmm, ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, I'm actually going to teach the church of Smyrna in two parts, this week and and next week, because they are so important. This literally will bring revelation to your life that will change it, if we have an ear to hear and eyes to see. The church of Smyrna is about 35, 35 to 50 miles away from Ephesus. There's no teaching. You know, the church of Ephesus is where we have the book of Ephesians. There's no teaching anywhere else in the Bible about Smyrna, about the city of Smyrna, how the church started. Many scholars believe that it was an outreach from the Ephesus church. You know, they're 35 miles away, and so they did an outreach, and they started a church in the city of Smyrna. Smyrna was, the citizens of Smyrna were extremely loyal to the Roman government. Now, as we're reading about the churches of antiquity, also think about the church today. They were extremely loyal, the citizens, not the, not the church members, the citizens of Smyrna were extremely loyal to Rome. Uh, it's where the Roman writer Cicero called Smyrna, the city of the most faithful and ancient allies. Of all of the world, Smyrna was the city known as the most faithful and ancient allies to the Roman government. It's the home of Homer who wrote Iliad and Odyssey. They said of Smyrna is the most beautiful city the Greeks ever built. In this little city of Smyrna, it had an amphitheater that sat 20 to 50,000 people. I've been there at the ruins of it. 20 to 50,000 50, 50, people in an amphitheater. They called Smyrna the glory of all of Asia. And the chief export, the chief financial, how would you say it? The, the number one way Smyrna made money to the rest, from the rest of the world was they had an extract that they took from a thorn tree, and this extract produced the finest perfume in the world. It was also a painkiller, and it was also used for embalming fluid. Now, we see something with Jesus that directly connects his life with the city and the product that comes from Smyrna. Look with me, if we can pull it up. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 11, and you're going to see 
Jesus directly connected with the product from Smyrna. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and Smyrna, the perfume. Now look with me. If you guys can pull these up a little bit quicker, please. Mark 15, verse 23. Look at the second connection Jesus has with Smyrna. And they gave him wine mingled with Smyrna, mirth, to drink, but he did not take it. It was a painkiller. Now, one more. Look at John chapter 19, verse 39. John 19. (laughs) And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of Smyrna and aloes about 100 pounds. Embalming, used for embalming. So this is the connection with Smyrna and myrrh, and this is how Smyrna got his name, from their chief financial product. Now, interesting is all these are connected with the first coming of the Messiah. We won't take time to read it. You can read it when you get home. But if you read Isaiah 60, 60 verse 6, it talks about the second coming of Jesus. And it talks about they will bring to him gold and frankincense, but it does not mention Myrrh. And the reason is, is the first coming of Jesus, Smyrna was called the suffering church. That's what Smyrna was called in history, the suffering church. In the first coming, Jesus came as the suffering servant. But in the second coming, he's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and there is no suffering involved. Somebody ought to say amen. So here you have the suffering church from Smyrna. Now, if you were to look at the pictures of Smyrna, Smyrna's cities were lined with huge temples, with huge shrines for Jupiter, Apollos, Sibyl, and all of these were pagan worship that hated Christianity. But this is not why the Christians of Smyrna suffered. The reason they suffered was is that Smyrna was the main worship center to Caesar. Of all of the world outside of Rome, Smyrna was the number one place in which people came to worship the government of Rome and the leader called Caesar. Now, we need to understand that Rome, as you know, hated Israel. Rome hated the Jews. Why did they hate him so much? You know, you know it's amazing how many people, when they talk about, uh, uh, you know, a two-state solution in Israel and the rights of the Palestinian people, and you ask people, say, do, where did the, where, was there ever a Palestinian government? No. Was there ever a, a country of Palestine? No. Where did the name Palestine come from? 
When Rome tore down the temple, when Rome killed Jesus, when Rome destroyed the revolts uh, uh, of the Jewish people against the Roman Empire, they could break the Jews physically, but they could never, now listen to what I'm saying, they could never get the Jews to bow down to the Roman Empire. Right? Now, you're going to see how this with Smyrna relates to us today. Rome hated the Jews so much because they could not get them to bow down to the Roman Empire and the false gods. So the Roman emperor declared, no longer will the land of Israel be called Israel. No longer will it be called Judea and Samaria. Up until the destruction of the temple, it was Israel. It was Judea and Samaria. And he said, because he hated the Jews so much, because he could not get them to bow down, he said, never again will the word Israel, Judea, or Samaria be used anywhere. Rome ruled the world. We now will call it Palestine after the enemies of Israel, the giant, the Philistines, Goliath, we now name it Palestine. Actually, they called it Syria-Palestina, after the Philistines. And people say, well, here's where, here's where the, 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 the Palestinians began. The Philistines were not Arab. They weren't Muslim. They were Greek. I'll let that sink in in a minute. Oh, the Palestinians have a right to their own country. There never was one. There never was one. There never was one. And they named it Palestine after Greeks. And they were wiped out in the Babylonian captivity 300 years before Jesus. So this is where the history of Palestine the Jewish people and Rome are connected. Rome hated, listen to me, this is going to make sense. Rome hated everything Jewish. Around this time that I'm going to read this letter to you, around this time, there was a meeting of the churches called the Council of Nicaea in modern, what's now modern day Turkey, where the seven churches were seven churches and the roman emperor constantine got the church leaders together this is 320 something years after the resurrection of jesus 320 something years after the resurrection of jesus and the roman emperor constantine it's if you want to read a book that is like drinking sand but it's it's about that thick it's called the Council of Nicaea, and it's the history of the beginning of where the church is today. And so they all got together and they said, okay, we need to bring unity throughout the whole Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire. And so I declare that all of Rome from England all the way through Turkey, Israel, over to Egypt, all of Rome is now Christian. Poof. They never even heard of Jesus. 
They had no radio, no television, no printing presses. They never, they, they never heard of Jesus, but the Roman Empire said, I declare oh, everybody's a Christian. So he got all the Gentiles, 320-something years after the time of Christ, got them together and said, okay, we got to agree on, on what we're going to say Christianity is. So they got together and put together what we now have as the New Testament. This is how it worked. They took all the teachings and everything. And by the way, up to 325 years, um, they had the Apostles' Creed. They had the Didache. And nothing in any church writing for 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus ever mentioned the Jews as being blamed for killing Jesus. It was the Roman Empire. Even the Roman Empire said it was the Roman Empire. But they got together and they said, okay, we've got to turn everybody's worship away from Jerusalem, Ephesus, your first love. Return to your first love. We got to get everybody to quit praying towards Jerusalem and have them pray towards Rome. How do we do that? First thing they said is, let's blame the Jews for killing Jesus. That is still taught today. That's still taught today. Let's blame the Jews for killing Jesus. And we get in all the history of crucifixion and, 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 and the stripes on Jesus that were all Roman. But they said, we've got to change some of the practices that these Christians are still connected to the Jewish roots of their faith. Here's the church of Smyrna. This is going to blow your mind. So they got together and they said, we have to get the church to lose its connection with Jerusalem and have its spiritual connection and therefore political connection to Rome. And so the way we do that, because we hate the Jews so much, is we've got to get every church to abandon its Jewish roots and start following teachings that were once pagan, but now make them part of the church. So instead of meeting on the Sabbath, which is Friday night to Saturday night, let's meet on the day that most people worship what? The sun. That's where it happened. Now, let me just say this. I met with a very, very brilliant Orthodox Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem years ago, and I said, should we change our services from Saturday to Sunday? He goes, don't do it. Now, we keep the Sabbath. We remember the Sabbath. We keep it. Friday night, we light the candles. Uh, Saturday night, uh, we, we, we close it with Havdalah. But he said, keep meeting on Sunday because that's when the fish come in. And we are, you are to be fishers of men. But they changed these things and they began to make it the law of the church. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. The churches of Rome, the churches of Rome during this time, made a decision to leave their Jewish roots and abandon the roots of the faith. And it began by abandoning Passover 
and celebrating a holiday called Easter. Now, it really didn't have anything to do with rabbits laying chocolate eggs. The pastor of the church of Smyrna's name was Polycarp. He was a disciple of John who wrote the book of Revelations. And he says, it says that he continued to observe Passover on the 14th of Nisan. And his answer was, because this is what Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5 says. Listen what it says. On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Now, believe it or not, this arrogant pastor really believed that he had the right to follow the teachings of the Bible. Now, a lot of people will say, but Passover is the Jewish thing. And it was first given to the Jews by our father Abraham, and we are grafted in. But I love that it says on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And it goes on to say, and you are to follow this forever. Now, I looked up in Hebrew, I looked up in Greek, and I looked up in Pig Latin. The word forever, and it means forever. Now, during this time, now, I'm going to read you a letter that is, that is um, Polycarp, the pastor of Smyrna, who they were attacking because he would not leave the Jewish roots of his faith. Now, you got to understand, this is the center of worship of Rome. This is like living in California. Come to Texas. Polycarp, Rome, and the citizens. See, what you got to understand is we think of Rome as being these tyrants because we look at how they treated the Jews. But if you were a Roman citizen, remember when they were going to kill Paul, and they said, oh, hey, he's a Roman citizen. They loved being a Roman citizen. People loved being a Roman citizen because Rome made sure that, that you had food, and Rome made sure you were taken care of. And, Rome, and so they hated anybody that disrupted the relationship with the Roman government. So they came to Polycarp. Polycarp, I believe, died in 150 or 159 A.D. And they said, if you don't start allowing Caesar worship in your church service, and what they would do is they would light in. One of the things they would do is light incense. And this incense would go to Caesar because Caesar was God. And, uh, and he refused. And they said, and so the, 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 government, the government said, if you don't, we're going to take you down to the twenty to 50,000 people amphitheater. We have wild animals and we'll throw you in there. Just compromise. Just do what you do, but just get rid of a couple of these things 
quit celebrating Passover and call it Easter. Or we're going to throw you to the wild animals. He said, no. They said, and then he, they wrote back and said, we're going to boil you alive in oil. And he said, no. And so they said, we're going to burn you alive at the stake. And he basically said, that fire will last for one hour. But the fire of God in me has lasted my whole life. The fire of God. And they burned him alive. So now we have a, a, a couple hundred years later, and the, the, he's called the Pope Victor of Rome. And he writes to, now, now this is a couple hundred years after Polycarp. The church is still keeping its Jewish roots faith. And he writes to Polycrates, who is the head of all the Christian churches in Asia. And he demands that the churches of Asia forsake their practice of observing Passover and to begin observing Easter. He demands. Now, this has been going on for hundreds of years. So in other words, the, the churches for, for hundreds of years after Jesus were still following the Jewish teachings of our Lord. So he writes a letter, demands them, and threatens them that unless they give up their connection to the Jewish roots, they'll be killed. So Polycrates, and, and, and I don't have time to read the whole letter. I wrote just down parts of it. Meets with all of the bishops, all the church leaders of all of Asia. And he writes back to the pope. And he names all these martyrs, and I don't want to take time to read them all, all these martyrs over the last couple hundred years that the church has killed because the, they have stayed faithful to the teachings of the Bible. He names them all. And then he says to the Pope, we observe the exact day, neither adding nor taking away, and then he begins a list of martyrs that you killed because they wouldn't bow down to you, and he names Polycarp, the pastor of Smyrna, who was burned alive. And all of these observe, all of these observe the 14th of the day of Passover according to the gospel, deviating from it in no respect. Now, he's writing to the Pope, but following the rule of faith, and I also, Polycrate, the least of you all do according to the tradition of my relatives, some of whom I have followed closely, for seven of my relatives were bishops, and I am the eighth, and my relatives always observe the day, Passover, when the people put away the leaven. I therefore, brother, brethren, who have lived 65 years in the Lord and have met with all the brethren throughout the world and have gone through every holy scripture, am not affrighted by your terrifying words. For those greater than I have said, we ought to obey God rather than man. I could mention the bishops, who are present, whom I summoned at your desire, whose names, should I write them, would constitute a great multitude 
And they, beholding my littleness, gave their consent for me to write this letter, knowing that I did not bear my gray hairs in vain, but I have always governed my life by the words of our Lord Jesus. And this is out of church history, Esebius, church history book, book number five, chapter 24. Now, I got to tell you that when I begin to study this, mostly when I study, I go to the rabbis in the ancient Jewism to find out what's happening. But there's no rabbis writing about the book of Revelations. And so everything I studied came from great teachers. And every one of them missed it because you cannot understand what this says unless you read it from the original understanding of the Jewish roots. And last night in my study, I go, there's something, there's got to be something there. And I found this out of the books of the histories of the church during the, after the time of the Council of Nicaea. And here is a letter telling exactly what's going on. We are being persecuted because we will not bow down to Rome. We will not bow down to Caesar as God. And we will not compromise what we have followed for hundreds of years that is in the scriptures and in the word of God. And your words don't scare me. I'm already an old man. Do whatever you're going to do. And these people were faithful until the very end. Somebody ought to shout amen. Do you know that all the seven churches in the book of Revelations, this is the only one that God doesn't have something against? He didn't have anything against them. Now, let me, re- let me reiterate to you something that I'm going to finish this next week. But let me close with this. Look at what he says in verse 9. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. Now, many scholars say that the word works is, I've I've still got about an hour and a half, so just warm up. (laughs) Many of the scholars say the word works here, I know your works, is not in there, that it was added. It doesn't matter if it was or wasn't. But they said the main emphasis is that I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, in, in, the language of that day, there are two words for poverty. One of the words means, you know, they're just getting by, they're not doing real well. But this word here, poverty, means they were destitute. That because they would not yield to the pressure of what the government wanted, that they were not allowed to buy not allowed to sell, not allowed to feed their children. You know, one thing is, I'll stand up for the Lord. But when you're watching your children not eating, starving to death, this takes courage. When you're not, when you can't, you, you're out of your house. You can't make your payment because, because they were standing on the word of God. But look at this, look at this, and and I'm going to get in more detail next week, but look at this. The Bible says they were having pressure from those around. Why, why? And, and, and I'll hit on this more. 
the people around them are going, you know what? Just give a little. Just yield. And I'm th- I was thinking about this today. In our society today, how many people can say what they want to say, vote the way they want to vote, but can't, but don't vote that way because the society around them pressures them to go another way. The word pressure here literally means to slander them. You did what? I have pastors saying, come on, man, it's 2021. Get rid of the archaic teachings. So what if a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman? Listen, listen, I, I, I walked in a heroin addict. Seven federal warrants out for my arrest. I know what grace is, but I also know what, what, what I thought was fun was doing to me. It was killing me. And the Lord said, neither do I accuse you. But then he also said, go and sin no more. That's love. That's compassion. That's grace. But look what the Lord says here. Look what the Lord says here. He said, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the pressure that's on you to compromise your faith. I know the pressure that you're feeling physically, economically, poverty, destitute, destitute. Now, before I give you the final answer on today, let me say this. People ask me all the time. I have pastors call me from around the world. People email us, text us. Do you think this is the end? No, I don't. Now, I know the master says, I know the Bible says that the wicked servant says the master delays his coming. I understand that. And I believe in all my heart, the Messiah could come before we finish this message. I also know in my heart, I'm ready. I also know in my heart that if it happened right now, I want to be able to stand with him and him not just say, come on in. I want him to say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Well done. I haven't done everything right, but I I have tried to do what God's called me to do. Amen. Amen. But I don't think it is the end. I think you're going to see in 2022 a big change. I think you're going to see in 2024 a bigger change. And I think God is going to bring one great blessing on the church who has eyes to see and ears to hear. I believe this is a wake-up call. I believe God is drawing a line in the sand and saying, wake up, return to your first love, and be faithful. Look what the Lord says here. The Lord says right here, he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. In Hebrew, that's aniyoda. I know. Ani. I know your poverty. Now, the word yodah has a lesser and a greater meaning, as, as so many Hebrew words do. In one says, I see what you're going through. I understand it. But when he says it in this tense, he goes, I know this. I've suffered 
I know what it is to be scared. Father, take this cup away from me. I know what it is to be betrayed. I know what it is to feel pain. I know what it is to watch those I love die. I know this. And it's an amazing word only in Hebrew. But it means because I've experienced this first. I have a covenant from the blood I shed with you. Now, the last thing he says, and it's so good. He says, you won't taste the second death. He says, this will only last 10 days. You can't even understand that unless you know Jewish roots. He said, hold on. You're going to receive the crown of life. But he said, be faithful. Would you stand with me all over the building? There's debate on this last part, but I want you to hear it. And I think I I know what it means. He says, be faithful unto death. Now, there's a debate that says, is he saying some of you will die for your faith? Be faithful. Or is he saying until you die? Stay faithful. I believe it means both. Stay faithful. Rome may try to kill you. But look at me, John. I'm the one who was dead and came alive. Look at me, church. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. Look at me. Rome tried to destroy me. I know. I know what you're feeling. The scripture says we don't have a savior that is not moved with what we go through because he's gone through it. But he said, stay faithful. Ross Perot said, the reason why most people don't succeed is they drop the ball on the one yard line. You ever watch the football game? And a coach has got to just want to wring the guy's neck. He intercepts it in the other goal line. He runs all the way down. He's the hot guy. And right before he goes in, he throws the ball down. And the other team gets it. He dropped it. You ever see that? They They do it all the time. It's like if I was that coach, I would just. He almost made it. Jesus says, I know what it's like to feel weak. Lord, do you know what's going on? He said, I see everything. I know. You know, when I was in my office and I was looking at this, I I, I thought of Israel and April. And I can remember when they called and said, Pastor, something's wrong with Michael. Michael was here at church and something happened to his face. They rushed him over to the emergency room. They came to take out again. We found out Michael had cancer. And I can remember saying, Israel, April, we're praying for you. We care, and we cared. Oh, our heart broke. But we didn't know what they were going through. 
But when we walked into the hospital room and the doctor and the nurse and the chaplain walked in and said, and I can see Luke holding lion and Jen's face is contorted in tears. And he said, I got bad news. Now all of a sudden I knew. When Tiz was on the operating table, they took out seven of her organs. She was on the operating table for eight hours. And Tiz and Katie and Anna and Jen and I sat in the room, and he goes, I think I can get you three months. All of a sudden, I knew. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said, I know what you're going through. They tried to defeat me. But I was faithful to the point. And I shouted, it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. I believe our best is yet to come. You don't want to miss the rapture. But here's God saying to you right now. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful when they try to get you to compromise and just light a little incense to Caesar? Or will you be faithful and say, you know what? I don't hate anybody, but that's not what the Bible says. Will you be faithful to come to church and be part of a team? Will you be faithful to pay your tithes? Will you be faithful to come and lift your hands and worship God and prepare the atmosphere for the presence of the Lord? Will you be faithful to lay your hands on the sick and when they're healed, give him all the praise and all the glory? Will you be faithful to tell people when they're talking about their hurts, say, listen, you may not understand, but Jesus is the one you need. Will you be faithful when they laugh at you and call you narrow-minded? Will you be faithful when your kids are taught something in school that is wrong and you, they come home and tell you and you sit them down and you say, here's what the Word of God says. Listen, this is what the Bible says. Will you be faithful? I want to pray two things. I want to pray, first off, will you be faithful to give your heart to the Lord? As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. Forgive me, I'm already seven minutes over, but you're used to that. You're here right now. Smyrna is the only church that Jesus didn't have something against. The suffering church. Because they decided to be faithful to God. We live in an amazing country. They're trying to steal that. They're trying to stop that. They're trying to tell us you can't go to church. You can go gamble in the casinos, but you can't go to church. And if you go to church, you can't open your mouth and sing. Will you be faithful? Can I tell you why it's easy to be faithful? Because he was faithful to us. He was faithful when he sweat great drops of blood in the garden. He was faithful when he said, Father, if there be some other way, let this cup pass. But nonetheless, lest I drink this cup, not my will, but thy will be done. He was faithful when they beat him. He was faithful when they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He was faithful when they shoved the spear in his side. He was faithful when they lifted up the myrrh from Smyrna. He was faithful when the thief said, remember me when you get into 
paradise. And he said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And he was faithful when he got up. And he will be faithful that he is coming back. And God wants you to be a part of that team of faithfulness. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. You're here right now and you say, Pastor Larry, I want to receive the Lord or I need to give my life back to the Lord. I want you to lift your hand up all over the building and hold it there. Not be ashamed. Hold it there. I see that hand, 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 that hand. Bless you. That hand, that hand, bless you. That hand. Keep it up. Bless you. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Bless you. That hand, bless you. That hand, bless you. That hand, bless you. That hand, bless you. Give these people a great big clap offering. Amen. Now, normally I would ask you to come down and pray, but I want us to do this as a family. I want to speak. Next week, we're going to talk about the crown of life. We're going to talk about the 10 days. We're going to talk about an amazing revelation that I don't think anyone in the church has ever seen. But think about this. The first church was being pressured to leave its Jewish roots. That's where it came from. Just give in a little. I can remember when I came home from Israel the first time, and, and, and God said, I'm going to teach you to reread the Bible through the eyes of a Jewish Jesus. And I got up to the church, and I said, guess what? We're going to learn to read the eyes. Jesus never stopped being Jew, and a third of the church left. Because we've been taught we've replaced Israel we're the new Israel. We're not the new Israel. We're grafted in. And when we know Christ, Abraham is our father. Will you be faithful if they threaten you at your job? Will you be faithful if they laugh at you at school? I want to release an anointing of faithfulness. If you'd like to receive that, I want you to come out of your seat. I don't usually do this. All of us at one time, please come right now as a sign making a movement towards God. I believe there's an anointing in these last days that God is going to bring upon us. Come down with me. Just come on down to the front. Come on down to the front. I really believe there's a special anointing that God is getting ready to release. Remember, he says, and I'll explain this next week as we're coming. Just slide on down this way, guys. Come on, pinch on down. I bathed in everything today. Well, I bathed last week. I bathed last week. Come on down. 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 Making a stand. Remember what he says? He says, it only lasts 10 days. I'm going to show you what that means. Nowhere on the internet will you find what that means. Nowhere. He said, I'm going to give you the crown of life. And I'm going to show you what happens with the crown of life. And then he says, you won't experience the second death. You won't experience the second death. If you've been born twice, you only die once. But if you've only been born once, you die twice. Let me say that again. If you've been born twice, I was born November 15th, 1950. I was born again 25 years later. If you've been born twice, you only die once. But if you've only been born once, you die twice. This is a time of real blessing. Will you be bold for the Lord? 
I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being judgmental. I'm not talking about being holier than thou. But I am saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I, I, I listen, I believe this. We're going to show you next week the reward. But I believe this. I believe the Messiah could come before, before we leave this building. But I really believe there is a supernatural time coming on those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Do you need to return to your first love? Need to catch back on fire? Just being in church shows you got an ember. Just watching show the Holy Spirit's going to blow and get that thing going again. Going to get that thing going again. Before we go, a little softer, a little softer, a little softer. For the last month, I kept having a vision in my prayers. And God just spoke to me. He says, now's the time to, to do this. In my prayers, I saw three different people. And all three of them had a large sack, huge, huge sack. And they're bent over carrying the sack. And the sack was rags. Two of them, the sack was rags. I see this every time I pray. And just as I was getting ready to pray, I saw it again. Two of them, the sacks were rags. And God said, those rags are battles that will be defeated today. Today. The third one wasn't rags. And I told Tiz, I said, I don't know what this means. And I kept praying. The third one's a big sack. And this is for you watching around the world also. But it was, it was like layers of feathers. The sack, big, big, huge. Like think of a homeless person and, and, and they're, they're poor and they're destitute and they're carrying this, these battles with them. But the third one was layers of these feathers. I could see the, not rags. I, I could see rags in there with feathers. And I told Tiz, I said, I can't, I don't know what this is. And so I kept praying and praying and God spoke to me. And he said, like a bird flying to its nest, a curse without cause doesn't come. And God said, these are battles because you're in the world. But the one with the feathers is a battle that your family has been facing for generations. And today, when I, we prayed, I watched those rags turning the golden garments. I taught, watched the feathers turn in the wings of eagles. So right now, you're here and you say, Pastor, would you remember me in prayer? And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, somebody dinged your car or something. I'm talking about you're in a real battle. You're in a real battle. And you need victory today. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. Wow, wow. Put your hands down. Generational curse. There's a real battle in your family. And you look at it and you go, it's been here generation after generation. Today, God is breaking that. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. He didn't just win our battle. He broke every curse that comes against us. How many say, Pastor, there's a, in my family, there's a real generational curse that I need broken today. Lift your hands up. Lift your hands up. Today's the day. 
Amen? Today is the day. Let's pray over this first. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you so much that you sent our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who we know is the Messiah, to not only forgive us of our sin, but to break every curse and bring victory through the seven places that Jesus shed his blood. Father, we know, listen, receive this. We know that it's not a coincidence. He's speaking to seven churches. He's speaking to seven people. He's speaking to the seven anointings and that Jesus shed his blood seven times on Yom Kippur. The priest sprinkled the blood seven times. And Father, right now, we break every curse and every spirit of defeat and we claim miracle victory through the blood. Miracle victory, victory, the blood in the garden, the blood at the whipping post, the crown of thorns in its hands, in his feet, in his side. And he went to the gates of hell and stomped on the devil's forehead and bruised to break every generational curse. And we declare right now that that curse, that battle is defeated. There are financial victories. I'm not just saying, I'm, 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 I'm not just grabbing something. I'm saying what God is telling me. There are financial breakthroughs coming on, I mean, real battles in the finances. God is bringing that answer right now. There's answers going to come before the new year. Financial answers, family answers, home answers, marriage answers, children's answers. Listen to the word of the Lord. What Satan has meant for evil, I will take that and I will turn that upside down. And what Satan's meant for evil, I'm going to use it for good in every area in Jesus' name. Now say this out loud. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Now, God just laid this on right. Say this. For me, my family, my children, my grandchildren, my friends, I release the victory and the anointing and the power of the name of Jesus right now. Now, let me pray for you. Father, I release a spirit of faith. Father, I release an anointing of faith. Father, I release the blessing and the victories of faith. And Father, I declare that we will stand faithful. I release a boldness that we will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will boldly proclaim his love, his mercy, his care. And Father, I declare that every one of us will preach the gospel through the words of love we share, through the actions of kindness and patience. And I declare that you will, that the battles are going to be short-lived. Somebody say 10 days. Say, crown of righteousness. I am more than a conqueror, and I will not, I will not taste of the second death, but the power of his resurrection. If you believe, 
The victory of God is yours right now. As you stand up for him, he will stand up for you. Give him a great big clap offering and tell him you love him. Come on, clap your hands. Amen. Maybe you're going through something and it feels like, wow, Lord, you know what's going on? And he says, I'm not just aware of it. I've been there. They couldn't stop me. I was dead and now I'm alive. We are more than conquerors. Stand firm because the battle is over and the victory has already been won. Do you receive that?